At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. The other thing that I kept in my mind is that this thing is temporary. You know, this is only maybe three months and some change at the most. And, you know, a year down the road, when I get off of this thing, looking back, this is going to seem like the blink of an eye, even though it sucks right now and I'm half starved and I haven't seen my kids in two months, it's going to end. It's going to end fairly soon. And then I'll be back, you know, and we'll pick up and, and live life as usual. This is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fascinating stories to amaze, encourage, and inspire you in fishing, fitness, and the outdoors. And we're brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I started this podcast as a way to connect with my friends, people that I admire and respect, and you. It has been a learning journey that's made me a better person, a better fisherman, a better father, and a better athlete. I'm so happy that you're on this journey with me, and I'd love to hear from you with show suggestions, guest suggestions, or questions. The best way to get a hold of me is through text. You can text 305-930-7346 for the fastest response, but if you prefer to email, you can send that to podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. That's a dedicated email address just for the show. If you like this show, you can show your support by posting about it on social media and tagging me. Text the link to a couple of friends that may also enjoy it and subscribe and leave a five-star review if you feel like I've earned it. The website is TomRollandPodcast.com, and that is where everything lives. All past shows, you can go and listen to any show. You can look up all the different shows that we've done, both the How-To Tuesdays, the Full Links, and the Physical Fridays. They all live on TomRollandPodcast.com, and the social media is Tom underscore Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, on Instagram, or you can go to our big account, saltwater underscore experience. I hope to hear from you soon. So now let's get on to today's show. Hey, my name is Clay Hayes, and you're listening to the Tom Roland Podcast. All right, Clay, how are you, man? I'm doing excellent. Uh, hunting season is just around the corner, and we're getting ready, all geared up and ready to go. I know. I'm on the same program i have uh i have inherited the the elk bug from my son and um shooting my bow and getting ready yep. and everything is is in preparation for for that elk season is that is that your main uh fall season or do you i'm sure you hunt all kinds of stuff but 
Yeah, well, I mean, we we do a little bit of everything, but my whole year kind of revolves around September. That that September archery hunt. Yeah, um, I mean, that's just a, such a huge part of what we do. You know, we uh, up here, we just um, we'll load up the whole family, wall tent, stove, everything. We just go live in the mountains until nice. I kill an elk. Um, and then this year, uh, my wife is going to be doing some bow hunting too. And then my youngest boy, Finn, isn't big enough to hunt elk with a bow yet, but he's, uh, I'm going to try to get him on a deer with his little recurve. So nice. we, got, we got lots of hunting to do. Nice. And so how old are your boys? Uh, 10 and 12. 10 and um, 12. And my, yep. And my, my older one um, is not into hunting, but the younger one is pretty much ate up with it. He's, he, he loves it. Right on, man. Well, that was, uh, that was certainly a, a big theme of, uh, of you on alone was how much, uh, your family meant to you and you're missing your boys and your wife. And, uh, it's, it's cool to, to see those kind of stories. Now, are you, yeah. when you say up here, you're, you're in Northern Idaho, is that where you are? Is that where you live? Yeah, we're about, uh, kind of at the Southern part of the Northern panhandle of, of Idaho. Um, so we spend about nine months out of the year up here, so permanent residents. And then I grew up in Northwest Florida okay. on a ranch down there. And so, uh, usually in the winter, we go down there and spend a couple of months. Nice. Well, that's a good yeah. time to be getting out of Idaho. Now, um, you, you, I thought I, I saw somewhere that, um, that you used to live in Idaho falls. Yeah, I when I first so I was a wildlife biologist for the state of Idaho for a number of years. And when I first moved up here, that's where I got my first job down there. Um, awesome place, super cold, super windy. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> and uh, we eventually after a couple of years down there, we moved up to um, we're about an hour out of Lewiston, which is yeah. kind of up in that northern part. Yeah, I started my guide career um, on the South Fork of the Snake River right there. A lot oh, of yeah. Idaho Wonder Falls people would come over uh, from there, but you know, Swan Valley and, and all that, just love that yeah. area. It's so nice. Fantastic. I used to fish the South Fork all the time. I lived in, um, you, so you must, you've got to be familiar with Tex Creek WMA. Wildlife oh, yeah, Management yeah. Area. Right. yeah. So that's, I managed that wildlife management area. And so I lived right there by Ryrie Reservoir. Okay. And I would, I would go, uh, fish the South Fork like all the time. Yeah. Man, it's such a great river. I, I yes, love that river. I, uh, you know, I, that was a long time ago when I did my guiding there, but we still go back and, and fish that. And I think it might have even maybe even gotten better. It was different when when I was there. Almost every fish was like, you know, 17 and a half inches because the 18 oh, yeah. inch cutoff uh, was the that was the slot. So they yep. they were getting taken. But I mean, you would just catch 17 inch cutthroats all the time. It was yeah. it was an amazing river and almost all dry fly. It was really, really exceptional time. And now there's a lot more browns there, um, but it's it's still one of my favorite rivers of all time. And that whole area, you know, the Henry's Fork and the South Fork and the, just all of it, man. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful. And so many, so many little tributary creeks that you can just go and you never see anybody and the, the fishing's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you make your way from, from Florida to, to Idaho? Well, I was in grad school in Mississippi, so I got my master's degree at Mississippi State, um, graduated from there, and they actually offered me a job in Mississippi uh, with the USDA, and I, I 
almost accepted it. Um, and I was like, you know what? I don't, I just don't want to stay in Mississippi. It was a wonderful spot. We had a place near Starkville, great hunting, you know, good people had friends there, but I always wanted to be out West. And so I turned down that permanent full-time job to come out to Idaho for the first time for a temporary six month technician position hmm. and, uh, came out, did that. And what do you, what do, you do as a technician? all the fun stuff <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like like uh that that's like i don't know what you, i don't know what that is what do you do so i was a i was i worked in the habitat so um i worked for idaho fish and game uh -huh. and so that uh that department is broken into you got fisheries you got law enforcement and then you got the wildlife and then the wildlife side is broken into the wildlife population staff and then the wildlife habitat. Uh -huh. I worked on the habitat side of things. And so the, the wildlife management area that I was taking care of, it's basically like having a 30,000 acre, um, piece of land that you can do whatever you want with, uh -huh. I mean, within reason. And so I was on a tractor, you know, planting, uh, various things. I planted tens of thousands of shrubs out there for habitat restoration. Um, and then, so you're doing a lot of habitat work during the summertime. And then in the winter, the place that I was on was a big winter range. And so you'd have, you know, two, 3000 elk that winter, winter on this place and, you know, a couple thousand mule deer. And so you'd get to, you know, take a snow machine out there and, and check out all that stuff, just kind of keep tabs on things. So it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And was that enough that you said no more Mississippi? I've got to be in Idaho. Um, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I knew that, you know, when I first, uh, when I first started applying for jobs out there or out, out West, I was, I wanted to be somewhere kind of around that greater Yellowstone mm -hmm. system. Um, and so I was applying in like Western Wyoming, um, Western Montana, and then in Idaho just happened to get picked up in Idaho. And that's where I've been ever since. Um, so I, I got done with that, that first little six month stint, I went back to Florida, came back the next year and got hired on full time and stayed with the Idaho Fish and Game for 10 years before wow. I went, went off and did my own thing. So where in this uh, in this adventure do you meet your wife? My wife and I have been together since we were 17 years old. Really? We yep, we've uh, we met in high school and have been together ever since. Nice. So I yeah. had uh similar kind of thing where um i brought my wife out west with me and then down to florida in the keys with me as well uh and didn't didn't meet her there we met in college um but how does your wife like idaho compared to florida is she a florida girl yeah okay yep she grew up uh her her uh probably 10 minutes down the road you know from me um you know, she likes, she likes both areas down there. We've got, uh, all the families, you know, everybody's down there. We're the only ones that ever left really. Uh, but up here in Idaho, you know, we've got our little, we got a little farmhouse, we got 20 acres and she's got a huge garden. She really, she's super into, um, you know, food production and preservation. So mm -hmm. she does a lot of gardening and then canning and preserving type stuff. Yeah. Um, and we just got a freeze dryer. So she's got that thing running like 24 seven. Um, so yeah, she, she, she enjoys both places and she also likes to get out into the mountains and, and camp and fish and all that good stuff. Nice. 
So um, you let's move over to to this alone conversation because uh, I just um, prior to reaching out to you, I had just watched the the season that you were on, and it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really like that show. I think yeah. that that show is it's legit. I mean, the people that are on that show. The first time I watched it. I, I was like, man, these are these people really know what they're doing. And the contestants, I, mean, I don't know what the process is for, for picking the contestants. I'd like to find out. But they, they seem pretty legit, yourself included. Um, you've had a lot of experience in, in Idaho and Florida probably with the fishing and the, and the hunting, um, which definitely benefited you. But did you um, – what was the process like and why did you even want to be on the show? Well, we'll start with why I wanted to be on the show. Um, I, and I was the same way that, that you, that you looked at it. I was like, when I, the first time I ever saw alone, I was like, like that says real as it gets right there. I mean, that there's nothing made up. Um, and having gone through the process, I can tell you that's absolutely the case. Um, there's nothing fabricated about this show when they, when they take you and drop you off in the wilderness. I mean, it's up to you. They don't give you, they, they give you no support. You have a, a lifeline. I mean, you have a, a sat phone that you can call them to come and get you mm-hmm. if something goes wrong. But, you know, as far as feeding yourself and, you know, doing the, making your shelter and, and doing all that stuff, it's, it's all up to you. Um, and I, I looked at it as like a once in a lifetime adventure. I mean, when are you ever going to get a chance to do something like this? Um, and I, I mean, there was no way I was going to pass that up. Um, now, as far as the selection goes, we had like, like, there's, I don't know how many applicants there are for this thing in the, in a year, 30, 40,000, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Last I looked. And so someone had actually recommended me. Um, and so one of the casting agents got in contact with me and we went through multiple rounds of selection so i don't know how many people they start off with um but you end up with like at a that for us ours was during covid so we couldn't go to like a an actual gathering place where they would evaluate your skills and so we had to do it all remotely um so they started off with like 24 people at that remote like skills assessment type thing did went through that went through a number of interviews um and then they ended up with 12 people and so you have 10, the 10 people that go on the show, and then there's two alternates in case something happens while you're at orientation camp where one person can't go in, right. um, that one of the alternates will step in. Um, so that's, that's basically the selection process. I mean, it was um, interviews and you had to demonstrate some skills and talk to the survival consultants and, you know, make sure that they didn't put people out there that really had no clue what they were doing. Right. Yeah, because where they put you, did you have any idea when you were when you were going through this this application process, where what type of environment it would be? Well, I mean, that no, not really. I mean, they said uh, it's going to be cold and there's going to be snow, <laughs> and and that's about it. Um, they didn't really. I guess it was pretty late. We so we took off um probably around august 20th or something like that to go up to canada um 
and it was probably mid-July before they would even tell us, like, okay, you're going to be at a lake, you're going to be in British Columbia, and it's going to be this, you know, conifer, mixed conifer forest mm. at, at, at this elevation. And that's basically the only information we had to go on. And we had to select all our gear based on just that. So there was no opportunity to look at aerial photographs and like do all the stuff that you would normally do for a hunt. You know, right. you, if I was going on a hunt up there, you know, I'd spend a month looking at aerials and right. picking out topographic features and finding out all the pinch points and all that stuff. And there was no opportunity to do that at all. Not even um, once we got up there, um, they, you, you had no idea where they were going to drop you. And so the lake that they put us on was 50 miles long. I mean, you can try to look at topo maps of that whole 50 mile long stretch of lakeshore, but you're not going to remember any of it. Right. So right. <laughs> doesn't do any good. But, and so when you're, when you're getting started, there's, there's a, uh, I guess for people that are familiar with the show, they know, they know this, but people that might not be as familiar with it, there's some sort of a list of things that you could possibly bring. And then yeah. there's some strategy on which ones of those things you particularly would would choose. And uh, so how does that how does that work when when you look at that list and you kind of know okay it's going to be cold there's going to be snow and we're going to be kind of at this elevation. Um, I would imagine you're, you're looking at that from your your own experience. Like well, a bow would be nice, fishing gear would be nice, but you know how yeah. do you how did you make your decision? Well, let me, um, for the folks that aren't familiar with the show, let me just kind of give you a basic rundown of yeah. the concept of this thing. Um, so alone is a, uh, basically a last man standing or last person standing. They call it a competition, but it's, we'll get into why I don't, it's not really a competition. Um, but they take 10 people and you get to, to select very, 10 very basic items, um, things like a pot or a ferro rod for starting fires, um, saw, axe, a bow and arrow is one item, sleeping bag, just very basic things like that. So you can't take a firearm, can't take a compound bow, can't take any modern traps or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So you, take, you select your 10 items and then they take these 10 people out into the wilderness, drop you off with a case full of camera gear, and last person out there wins half a million dollars. Um, and like I said before, you do have a sat phone. So if you want to tap out, if you want to call them and say, hey, I'm done, come and get me, you can do that. Um, that's one way people leave. And then the other way people leave is that if your body condition gets too deteriorated, if, you, if your health declines too much, they can pull you out for medical reasons. Mm. Um, so periodically they will come back and check on you to just to make sure that you're healthy enough to continue. And that's when that would happen if it, if it does. And it, it happens pretty frequently. Do, know, they, are, do they alert you beforehand? Do they call on the sat phone or, or do they just show up? They, they will, they let you know so that you're there at your, at your site so that they don't have to track you down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they say, okay, we're going to come like tomorrow um, so be around camp and it, it actually becomes a little bit of an annoyance because you got, you got things to do and you don't want to be sitting around and it's like the, uh, it's like the cable guy, you know, he says, Oh, I'm going to be here between <laughs> eight and six. Right. It's like, wow, thanks. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so you burn a whole that, day just sitting that there. That might be your one chance to to kill something or to yep. you know have have something walk into your camp right when they show up. Um, yep. You had all kinds of stuff. That that first um, mountain lion deal was was pretty pretty cool. Um, yeah. Did you ever see that mountain lion again after that? I saw I saw its sign several times, but I never did catch up with the cat. And I, I actually did go out and try to cut its track. Like I was talking, I think I was talking about that at one of the early episodes. One of the things that I wanted to try to do was cut that cat's track in a fresh snow and see if I could just walk it down. Mm-hmm. Um, would never, never did that. And I actually went out one time after a real fresh snow, um, heavy snow and spent like all day walking around in like knee deep heavy wet snow and uh, you know that was probably day i don't know late 40s day 50 something like that and i mean i was already probably down to 100 and close to 140 pounds at that time so i was super skinny and uh you know after that day i just felt just bone tired i mean just like That's a great start to the conversation. We're going to take a short break and get right back to the show in just a moment. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You know, kind of tired. Um, So, yeah, uh, I never caught up with him, but I did try several times. Now, in in Idaho, have you had experience with with fishing game or just hunting them on your your own? Do you have experience with, with cats? A little bit. I mean, I've, uh, I see their sign all over the place, but that's the thing with, with lions is I know they're watching me when I'm in the woods, but you rarely see them. Right. And that, you know, when I was, I think it was like, they said it was day one or something on the show, but it was really a day three or four that that lion came up behind me. But, you know, I was sitting there at my campfire, just looking into the coals and this cat stalks up behind me at 10 yards. And that's, that's the first time I'd ever seen a cat like that, like really intimately where he it's, it's on his terms kind of, 
you know, I've seen them in trees over dogs, mm -hmm. but that's a different, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. You know, it was super cool to have that cat come up just like so close and, and, and be on ground level with them look, staring at each other. Wow. That's, that's awesome, man. That, uh, and, and that would turn into food in that situation, right? Yeah. If I had, my bow was, so I was probably 20 yards from where, where I had a tarp shelter strung up and that's where my bow was. Um, man, if I'd have had it, I, I probably could have got an arrow in that cat. Man, that would be, but that would hindsight. have been good. So you, um, if you had gotten that, like that, that would have definitely been good. You were, you were successful with the fishing and you were yep. successful with, with the hunting. Um, it seems like the people that win this take down something big, um, over the, over the, you know, at least the last couple of seasons, Jordan, we had him on here. He got a moose. Um, mm -hmm. and that was, that was great, even though he got his fat stolen by a, by a Wolverine and he's literally basically eating as much as he can and still losing so much weight. That was, that's, that's incredible. Like yeah. how, how lean, you know, wild game is. And when you're in that situation and that's all you're eating, you're still just losing like a pound a day. It's incredible. Is, what would, did you, did you. What was the weight loss kind of situation for you? Like, were you losing more than you thought or faster? Or? No, it's, it was about what I expected. <clears throat> um, and that's when you're in a, in a situation like that, you can pretty much expect, um, if you're already fairly lean guy, um, you can expect to lose about a pound a day. I mean, if you're a, a really big guy, you know, pound and a half, something like that mm. is, is pretty normal. Um, so right now I'm, I don't know, 153, something like that. Um, and before I went in, when, when I first got contacted, I started gaining, trying to gain weight and it's not easy for me to gain weight. I mean, it's very difficult. And so for, um, I don't know when they first contacted me, April, April, May, June, July, August. And then they finally, um, launched us on September. So for that whole time I was eating like, so much that I was never not uncomfortably stuffed and it, and I gained 20 pounds or so, yeah, a little over 20 pounds. So I went in at about 180 pounds, uh, by week three, I was already back down to about a 160 and the lowest I ever got was about 140. Wow. And I actually gained a couple of pounds before I came out. I think I came out around 142 or something like that. Um, but I mean, you're talking about being lean i mean that's you think of a wolf or a, a lion i mean they're lean animals and that's that they're eating meat um and, and you're you're basically top shelf predator at that time when you're out there i mean you're you're running on the same stuff that a wolf runs on so yeah wow. you're gonna be lean and, and that's the that's the thing is like right now i'm 152 but if i was if i were living in the woods i wouldn't be 152 i'd probably be if I was living in the woods and doing really well, I'd probably be 145, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, when you were getting the fish, uh, and the, the fat that you were getting from the, from the fish, could you, I mean, when you're, when you're living that lean and you're, you're, you know, if you haven't had electrolytes in a long time and you get, you drink a Gatorade or something, you feel it like, Oh my God, that's amazing. Like when you would get like a fish or something, could you just, feel this surge of, of energy coming from the fat and everything that you're getting from that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it was, 
the I think I ended up shooting a grouse on like day two or something and then made a fishing rod on day five ish, something like that. Ended up catching some fish. And then, um, so the, the fish that I caught, I filleted out, I smoked the fillets. And then, so that for that first meal, I just took the backbones and the heads, threw them in my pot and just stewed them down until they like melted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, there's so much fat in a fish's head those trout mm-hmm. um and that stuff is just absolutely fantastic but yeah i mean when you're when you're depleted like that um you can definitely feel it so let's talk about the fishing rod that you made you you made a pretty good fishing rod and you were able to you were able it looked like you were able to cast pretty pretty far so what could you bring in terms of of fishing gear um did you have to make a lure like what what was your what were you catching these fish on what was the fishing like up there yeah, so if you if you choose fishing uh, fishing gear as one of your ten items, what you get is 300 yards of monofilament and 25 hooks. And for our season, um, there's different. You have to follow the regs when you're up there. It's mm-hmm. just not it's not like a you know open uh, buffet. <laughs> um, so for our one of the regs that we had to follow is we had to have barbless hooks, which mm. really sucked. <laughs> nice. And so. You're fishing for survival with barbless hooks. (laughs) Exactly. And so that's one of the reasons that I really wanted to build a rod because I I knew that it was going to be important to keep pressure on that fish. You know, it's hard to do that with a hand reel. Right. Um, And so I had to figure out a way to make make some way that I could cast and then also reel. And so I ended up making – there's actually a reel that kind of functions in that same way that I of the reel that I made called an Alvi reel hmm. where you can take the spool and put it in the orientation of a spin cast yes. to, to start with. So you can cast and then you can flip it to the side and then you can retrieve gotcha. that. And so that's basically the way that mine works. So I had a, a spindle that stuck out the front underneath the rod that, that I would take just the, the spool, the line came on, I'd stick it on that spindle and I'd use it work just like a, a spin cast rod. Huh. I would take that off, stick it on a spindle that was perpendicular to the rod like this. And then I took a peg and stuck in one of those sections of the spool so that I could right. then reel it. And so I would have to pinch the line between my thumb and forefinger and just guide it, you know, like that onto the, onto the spool as I was, um, as I was reeling it up. And actually the, when it, whatever episode they show me catching those fish, you can see that, um, like the first fish I catch on it, I get so excited. I forget to guide it. And it like the, the line comes off and wraps around the spindle and I can't reel. So I just throw the whole thing down <laughs> and run up there and grab the fish. Um, but after that, I, I calmed down a little bit and actually learned how to use it. And it was pretty doggone effective. Um, I think they showed me catching two fish, uh, with that rod. And I, I think I ended up catching six or seven. Mm-hmm. in total on the rod while I was there. Yeah. How would you how would you string it through the rod? What would you do use like that? Yeah, so one of the other items that I took was snare oh, wire, yeah. and so I just yeah. made eyelets yeah. with the snare wire. Yep. Nice. And then man, I mean that that's did you practice that beforehand? Like did you make one of those at your shop or anything before before you went up there to see how it would work? I did. Yeah. Um and that's one of the things uh, that I personally did is I spent a lot of time, uh, trying to prepare for this thing. So I, 
I made a bunch of friction fires because I thought that I might not take a ferro rod. Mm. Um, I learned how to make um, gill nets in the old old way with a uh, with a gauge card and a, a net needle. Yeah. which is one of the things I did out there. I made a gill net and then also a landing net. Could you take that um, needle, that net needle? or did you I made make, one while I was one. out there. Yeah, okay. Yep. Made the card and the needle while I was out there. Um, but I fishing, you know, they're, you, they always put you out on a, a big body of water, whether it's a river, the coast, or a lake. And so from early on, I knew that fishing was going to be an important part of you know, my strategy, because I have the body, I don't have the body type to go out there and, and starve. I can't gain enough weight to do that and be the last one. And so my, when, when you, you were talking about collect, uh, selecting the items before, I wanted every possible way to feed myself. And so I took fishing stuff. I took my bow and arrow and I took snare wire. Um, those are the three primary ways that you can feed yourself out there. And I, I took every single one of them. <laughs> Now, had you taken, had you not taken the ferro rod, what would you have substituted? Like, it seems like that you kind of thought about maybe not taking it. I, you know, I might have thought, I, I, I actually did think very seriously about taking a block of salt, mm. Himalayan pink salt, um, just for electrolytes, yeah. primarily, primarily for electrolytes, and then also uh, food preservation. Um which I didn't have a problem with the food preservation, uh, but the salt would have been super nice out there. Yeah, that was one of yeah. the items. How how big a block would they have let you take? I can't remember. It was either two pounds or five pounds. Wow. Um, a block of salt, yep. Yeah. And I actually took one. I, I took a block of pink Himalayan salt up there with me to BC and just ended up taking something else. You know, I, I think I ended up, um, I, I took several things up there that I didn't end up actually taking into the woods. I took a tarp because um, I had considered making a boat mm -hmm. while I was out yeah. there. And I'm, gl I'm, I'm glad, in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't do that because my section of the lake was so windy that there would have been a very small handful of days when I could have used it. Um, yeah. I mean, it was super windy and wavy on my, on my site. It seemed risky too, man, because that lake is like, I don't know, it kept putting it up there that it was 2,000 feet deep in places, and you could see like when they would do the aerial photos, it looked like it looked like there was a pretty significant drop-off if you got off. Yeah. I mean, but if you were even to go down in three feet of water in, in, when it's yeah. really cold, like that could be that could be bad, you know? You think about yeah. it, well, if you just got the truck right there, you know, it's no big deal, but you're out there, you got nothing. I mean. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is like being on the water – just it takes a lot of energy just to be on the water you know you're, you're constantly you know you're constantly making adjustments for the waves your, your body is constantly working you're never at rest when you're on the water you know truly like you can be on land right and so it just over time it'll just kind of wear you down a little bit but at the same time i mean it could be you know if you can get the fi fishing figured out a little bit farther offshore might make the difference so yeah yeah you know if i was if i were to go somewhere uh like vancouver island i would definitely make a boat there because hmm. that's such a fishing is such a huge part of you know they've done several seasons on that island um it's such a big part of people's success there's basically no hunting there i mean they, they can't hunt much at all because of the regulations yeah i mean there's black bears there for but for some reason they i don't know they weren't able to hunt them right so yeah 
What about the bears where you were? I mean, that was a big part of the story, the grizzly bears everywhere. And it did yeah. seem like that was real and not just being played up. I mean, lots of people were seeing them. How, what was your um, experience with the bears? Um, that was very real. There, there were, there were grizzlies everywhere. Um, when I first got there, I actually walked up, uh, walked up the trail to the spot, um, where I would eventually make my camp. And there's a, a big, um, lodgepole pine that had, you know, claw marks running down it. There's grizzly <laughs> hair stuck in it. So it's like, <laughs> this looks like a great campsite, <laughs> but they were, I mean, there were bears every, there was, there were bear trails all over my site um old bear scat all over the place um and i had several very close encounters with grizzlies um the first one i was actually there's a a place that i picked berries um probably quarter mile half mile from my my campsite and i was out there picking berries and i had a grizzly walk mm, probably not much more than about five yards from me Whoa and uh so that was the first one and you know as soon as it saw me it took off it was a young boar um but i didn't you know when it was coming i knew it was a bear because i could hear it breathing like you know like (laughs) holy shit and so i got my bear spray out got ready um and i i had the wind on this bear but the bear spray has these safety clips Uh on them and when you pull that safety clip off it makes like a clicking like a and and when I clicked that safety off, the bear heard me and turned and looked at me, um, and that's what alerted it. Uh, but if I had never, if I if I had done that more quietly, I think that bear would have walked right by and never even knew I was there. Wow, wow, um, that is always a weird thing when you're hiking, you know, around. Is like, do you make noise? Do you not make noise? Because I've seen it play out both ways just like you're talking about one time i was on jenny lake right in uh in in the grand teton and we were in my drift boat we put it in on the on the on the lake and we were just fishing and there's a very popular trail there that goes to hidden falls and i was with my dad and we looked up and there's this black bear coming down this scree slope coming down and we see people walking on the trail and there there's this collision course like they're they're it's gonna happen right at the right at the same time and my dad's like, should, should we say something? I'm like, I don't, I don't know, because I'm afraid that if we alert these people, they're gonna freak out, and then maybe the bear freaks out. So I was just like, just, just let's just see what happens here. And the bear comes down, and it gets on the trail, and it walks a couple of feet, and then it hears the people, and it jumps up and gets behind like just a rock big enough, and they walk right in front of it, and it comes down on the trail, duh, 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 duh. and then here comes some more people, and it jumps up and gets right behind. And we're having this view from the water. It can't tell what we are. You know, we're yeah. in a boat out there. But, you know, that's a situation where it it just played out just nicely it, and, and probably happens more than, more than you know, that there's a, a cat or a bear or something that just kind of knows you're there just gets far enough off the trail that you don't see it you walk right by it keeps going it doesn't want anything to do with you but then there's the making the noise and and alerting you know when do you i don't know i would imagine the worst thing that could happen well would be to get in between the cubs and the the mom would be the worst thing that could happen but like in the situation that you're talking about like all of a sudden you decide i'm not going to pull the safety off of this bear spray and it gets within two yards of you and looks over and sees you and never smells you. I mean, I would imagine that that's like seriously bad. 
Like all of a sudden it, it just reacts. Yeah. I don't know um, how it would react. Well, I mean the bear, the, that particular bear, it was young boar. I mean, he had no reason to, you know, have any interest in me at all. Um, if it had been, like you said, a sow with cubs, that could potentially have been a very, very different interaction. Mm -hmm. I mean, when they get that, a sow with cubs, I mean, their first instinct is to protect those cubs. And, and when something surprises them like that, protection means neutralizing whatever potential threat is there. (laughs) Death. (laughs) Um, Either that, so that's one very dangerous situation, and the other one is is stumbling upon a bear that's guarding a kill mm-hmm. or on any food source, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that's those are the only two situations that I was really very cautious of out there. Um, and I ended up, I ended up killing a deer eventually. And and one of the things that I that that's one of the the kill site where that gut pile was was I avoided that. I didn't want to. I didn't want to go back there and, you know, run Mm -hmm. up on a grizzly, which was absolutely would have been there. I mean, there were so many bears in the area that gut pile didn't lay there for, I'm, I would assume a couple days before there was a grizzly on it. Did you ever go back in that area again? I went back because I'd ended up, I ended up leaving my broadhead out there, my arrow. Um, and I went back like, I don't know a month month and a half later <laughs> give it a month <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> you give it a month man that that would be that would be tough to be out there by yourself with those grizzly bears that's just i mean not that it was that having somebody with you is going to help that much but even just like did you hear that like you know having somebody there that would be like yeah i heard that <laughs> that was yeah. that would be that would be something but i i found that to be um questionable decision uh for for the show like to put people in that area with grizzly bears i mean grizzly bears that's the that's the apex predator in north america like i don't know there's some other places that maybe you could go but i don't know did what did that surprise you at all we're going to take a quick break and get right back to the show in just a moment Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com I don't, I mean, Extreme. a little bit, I guess. I mean, it is, I don't know what their, you know, acceptance of risk is, yeah. but it must be fairly high. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, people almost starve to death every, every season. So, you know. Yeah. I mean, but that, I mean, they do have, so when they come back for the med checks, a doctor comes and they, you know, they, they do all your, um, all your 
uh, vitals and they mm-hmm. keep tabs on your blood pressure and all that stuff. And so I feel like they keep pretty good tabs on you um, from a health standpoint. But like you said, I mean, you're, you're out there on your own. You have, you do have a sat phone, but they're hours away from you. And sometimes if you get weather that rolls in, like they just can't get there. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so, you know, you may call and maybe three days later they'll come and wow. see what, see if you're all right yeah you'd probably be feeling um, a little bit better by then you know oh yeah he's like ah you know what forget it i'm, I'm could, good could you say that or or once you call it's over i don't know i didn't i never <laughs> i know never you never that, you so. never did it and and that was kind of the same way with 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 jordan when i watched his his episode there both of you just never had the 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 mental breaks that other contestants had and it's certainly one of the things that i wanted to talk to you about because what seemed to be weighing the mo- the heaviest on you was was being away from your family. That was mm-hmm. that was certainly, you know, on your mind. And I don't know how how they edited the show or or what, it, but that was that was the story that came out. And it was I'm sure that that's the way. I have two boys like yours that are that are close together, and then followed up with a with a girl. And when I'm gone on fishing trips and things like that, that is absolutely the hardest part is just being away from the family. And yeah. so what about that? How, how did you manage that and just, just staying, staying, you know, focused on what you needed to do? Well, so before I left, um, I talked with both of my boys and, um, basically told them that I needed their help, uh, because I needed to know that everything was going to be okay at, at the home at, at our home because we once you get out there there's no contact at all i mean i, I didn't talk to my wife or, or boys for two and a half months no, i mean and they won't tell you when they come out to do those med checks they they don't tell you they, don't, they give you zero information um and so in order to go through that uh i, I needed to know th- that they would not make it hard on their mom that they would try to make it as easy on her as possible because I mean, if you got two boys, you know how hard they can be oh, yeah. on their on their mama. Um, and so I talked to them both individually. Um, and while I was away, I mean, talking to Liz, um, she, I mean, they 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 really stepped up and started pulling their weight. They helped keep the house clean. They helped cook dinner. They they helped with all of these things. Um, but I was, re- you know, before I went, I was really. Like I made sure that they knew that they, I needed that from them. Um, and so I was, you know, when I went out there, Liz is incredible. I mean, I knew that she could handle everything on her own. Uh, I knew that the boys, or I felt like the boys would really help out. Um, and so I, I didn't really worry about that so much while I was out there. Um, and that was a huge, uh, huge help for me. Um, and then the other thing that I kept in my mind is that this thing is temporary. You know, this is only maybe three months and some change at the most. And, you know, a year down the road, when I get off of this thing, looking back, this is going to seem like the blink of an eye, even though it sucks right now and I'm half starved and I haven't seen my kids in two months, it's going to end it's going to end fairly soon and then I'll be back, 
you know, and we'll pick up and, and live life as usual. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, did you have a, uh, like a, a family meeting as well as talking to them individually to kind of everybody, everybody was on the same page that there was going to be no communication and that this yeah. is what you were doing and everybody understood the, the, the potential benefits to the family and, and why you were doing this. Like you went through all of that. Yeah, we, I mean, everybody knew what to expect. Um, and, and Liz and I talked about like, you know, she had, the uh she had the number for the producers so if something happened you know if, the, if she had an emergency something happened here she could call and let them know and they would inform me and then i could make the decision on whether to come out or not and so we talked about like okay what when do you call what is it that and it's like well i mean if i can't if there's if by being here if there's anything i can do to help the situation yes absolutely call if there's nothing I can do, what good is it going to do, you know, to call? And so that's, that's where we left it. And she, she never called. I mean, she went through some pretty hard stuff here on her own and never called me. So, wow. She's a strong gal. She sounds, sounds like a strong girl. <laughs> she, um, so, and then when you get back, you learn about the, the, tr the things that she went through while you were gone. Yeah. Um, so when I came out, um, there's a recovery period, mm -hmm. so they don't just, they don't just pull you out of the woods and send you home. You know, you gotta, they, they you have to go through a, a period where they have a nutritionist and they try to get you healthy again. If you, if your body condition is too bad, um, you know, you talk to a shrink, make sure you didn't go crazy out there. <clears throat> and so during that time, I had a lot of time to be on the phone with Liz. I mean, we spent hours a day talking um and she uh like the hardest thing that she had to uh go through while i was gone i think i think it was on launch day actually the day that they put us in the field she goes to the doctor on like a to get a like a routine scan and they end up finding uh what they thought was ovarian cancer oh wow and the thing the thing was it wouldn't have been so bad but she used to work at this hospital and so she knew everybody there in the imaging department and so she ends up convincing them to just give her the report with no doctor mm -hmm. there and so she gets this report that in, in a handwritten note on the sides by the radiologist says this is this is probably ovarian cancer we need to get this wow. looked at um and with no explanation and ovarian cancer kills like 70 percent of the people that are diagnosed with it and so she's standing there with this paper in her hand and she thinks she in her mind she's looking at her own death sentence wow. she goes through um abdominal surgery to to have this growth removed um they do a biopsy and and thank god it ends up not being anything it, it's, it's wow. benign but she goes through this whole thing she she has a week of not knowing you know she has this report she has a week before her surgery and then another couple days before they get the results so there's you know 
a week or 10 days of her not knowing what is going on. And she never calls me. She never calls because she did not, she knew that this was something that was important to me. And she knew that if she called that I would come home and that I would always wonder if I could have done it. And she didn't want to take that away from me. Wow. And I, you know, uh, that's not what I meant when I said, if I can't do something about it, don't call, you know, of course I would have had her call me. If I'd have known that was going on, I'd have come home in a second. Um, but she took that upon herself to go to, to, you know, go through that entire thing by herself, no family up here in Idaho so that I could, you know, so that I could live out this dream. Yeah. But you did. Yeah. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty amazing to me. I was blown away that she was willing to do that for me. Yeah. It's, it's for your family too, though. I mean, like she, she, I'm sure she knew that she had confidence in you, that you could do this, that you could win and that this would be good. Right. I mean, it seems like she, she has that kind of confidence in you that this, not just, not just, this is something that you want to try, but you have the potential of, of winning. Yeah, she absolutely did. And, and, and both boys did as well. And that's one of the things, I mean, when I was out there, like, I guess after about day 12 or so, I mean, I wanted to come home. Like I didn't want to be there. I I wanted to come home like every day. And that's one of the things that kept me out there is they did believe in me. Um, I mean, the boys were like 100% convinced like, Oh yeah, game over. You're going to win. And I was like, I could, there's no way that I was going to tap out, you know, when with them, you know, having that idea, idea in their head. Yeah. Wow. So, so you end up making it 74 days. Is that, is that the number that, that yep. you made it? And, yep. um, you could have gone longer. I mean, you seem like you were, you were just hitting your stride at that point. Um, so when you're, when you're, you know, I don't know how long it's been since you have gotten out of the woods and you get back to your, to your regular life. Um, but you've had a good amount of time to reflect on, on these 74 days. You've written a book about it. Um, what, what do you, what did these 74 days do for you and your relationship with your wife and your kids? And, and just did it, I I know that it changed you. I mean, you can go on a weekend camping trip and come back and it has changed you in some way, shape or form. 74 days is legit. I mean, by yourself, 74 days that, so have you had a, a, a an opportunity to to kind of say, you know, like this is the major takeaway from that deal? And there's probably tons of more, but I don't know. Have, I'm sure you've had tons of time to reflect on it. Yeah, I mean, it's having having time like that. The, the, the unique thing about alone or any kind of experience like this is you're completely taken out of your everyday life where you have responsibilities and distractions and there's always things to occupy your time. And when you're completely removed from that, like when I was in the woods, my only responsibilities or obligations were to feed myself and not get eaten by a a bear. That's it. That's the only things that I had to do. And so you have, you can, you can look at your life 
like from a pers- from a step removed. You get a different perspective on your entire life, and that is super super valuable and something that's so very rare today. I I I wish that everyone could do that because when you can do that, you you see paths that you're going down that might not be the best way to go. You question how you live your life. Why do you do things the way that you do them? Um, Are you living your life in accord with your core values? I mean, that's something that's super valuable. Uh, And and this experience gave me the opportunity to do that. Um, And one of the things that it teaches you, one is to suffer well. Another one is to find opportunities in every obstacle. And that has to do with how you look at things. You know, things happen to us all the time and we can either look at them and say, oh, this sucks, this is bad. Um, And it will be bad because your perception of it, or you can look at that same thing and say, okay, well, you know, this has happened. How do we move past this? Or how do we use this for it to our advantage? I mean, that's, that might seem a little bit cliche, but when you're out there, it's like, it's so true. You know, so many things happen. And one of the things that, uh, one of the perfect examples of that is my fishing and the deer that I ended up getting. So I ended up, I think I caught, like I said, six or so fish on that fishing rod, but I did all of that in like the first two weeks. And then after that, I couldn't catch a fish on that rod and so by the time i ended up killing this deer i hadn't caught a fish in like a week and i was running out of fish and and so i went hunting now if the fish if, so so you look at that and say man this fit the fishing sucks this thing this sucks this is bad i can't catch a fish well um the bad fishing led me to go hunting if i hadn't have gone hunting i wouldn't have got the deer i might not have been the last one and so did the did that situation really suck? I don't know. I mean, you know, it ended up ended up being or the was right it, a, it was a doorway to a new exactly. situation. Exactly. And so um I one of the things that I really came to realize is you can't know. You it, it's impossible to know if something is truly good or bad until time gives you the perspective to look back on that thing. And, and then the last, like the really big thing, I think that's like a universal realization for everybody that goes out there and spends a significant amount of time is how important your family is to you. Like that's everything. I mean, everything else is peripheral when you're out there. Um, and that's one of the things you really come to realize is your family is, is the most important thing in your life. Wow. And did you, did you always, I'm, I'm interested in, in the, the, the mindset of, of looking at every obstacle as an opportunity. Do you think that, um, that you kind of have always had that or, or did this, and this, and this just kind of solidified it even more, or did this change the way that you think about that? I think it, that's always kind of been part of my operating system you know i don't get like something happens that's not 
uh, conducive to whatever direction I think I want to go. I don't, I've never been one to get hung up on that and worry about it. I I'm just, I'm looking like, okay, how do I get around this thing? How do I get over this thing? You know, how do I get past it? Um, but going through a situation like this, it really just, it takes that, um, it takes things that you kind of know in theory and just like, now it's part of you know it's part of your soul it's mm. in your bones yeah. type of thing yeah and i'm sure that there's like <clears throat> you you come back and you have these you have these realizations like we're talking about but at some point do you ever see yourself like you you had these realizations of you know this is why i'll go down this road or this is why i act this way or this is why i do these different things like you were like you were explaining and then you come back and you you think i'm not going to do that anymore but then you get back into the real world and there's a little bit of social media there's a little bit of other things do you find yourself slipping back into those habits and catching yourself and saying huh now this is the lesson i learned out there why am i doing this yes yeah <laughs> absolutely you do um and and it's something i have to constantly remind myself it's one of the things that i that i wrote about in my book it's like it's amazing i think it's in the postscript um it's amazing how you're you're out there and you're like this is it like this is my core being now and then you get back into the the real world and you can start to lose that stuff and so i do have to i, I gotta remind myself of, of these things every single day but i do I do now. I do remind myself of those things, um, and it, you know, those those lessons that I learned there, um, they are they're part of who I am now. Yeah. Do you think like so many people will will go on, you know, a a, a camping trip or or get out into the woods and and have like a a very small degree of what you went through right they'll they'll just get back to nature I, I find myself doing it you go on an elk hunting trip you go on a deer hunting trip you go on a fishing trip you're just everything is just so cool like everything's great and you're thinking okay well these are the most important things and then you go back into your your life and you kind of find yourself slipping and then it's you you know it's time for a reset man i gotta get back out there i gotta do that again i gotta i mean it, do you and and there is that reset. There is that full on reset to where if you haven't been out in the woods for a while and then you get back out there, you're like, yeah, this is it. Why, why do I not come out here more? And it's well because I got a family and a job and all these other things. And these are the things that I love to do. But you got to hit that reset all the time. And it seems like like with with you on on an extreme end of of this of having 74 days out there and even you're saying yeah man you get back and you got to remind yourself you got to hit that reset button you got to get back out there and is that what you're doing with your with your family now and taking your boys out there and and your wife and when you pack the wall tent up and go elk hunting for the month of september is it like you're doing that for your family and for a reset of your own before we wrap up our conversation, we're going to take one final break. Be right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. <clears throat> well, I think for me, it's um, the the reset is more of just like a, like I'll catch myself doing things and I'll say, ah, you know what? That's, I'm not, like, I, that's not the direction I want to go. Neep, right back here. That's where I need to be. Um, but as far as getting back into the woods, like, yeah, I mean that for, for my whole family, I think that's really important. I mean, I just got back from a, a backpacking trip with the boys, took them into one of the Alpine lakes up here in, nice. in North Idaho and went and got bit by bugs and caught a bunch of cutthroat trout. So it was a lot of fun. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I, I'm, I feel very, very fortunate because that's what I do for a living. And that's just what we can do all the time. Um, being in the woods is just a, a normal thing for, for us. Mm-hmm. How did you, uh, how do you make your living now after, after this win? And you, you mentioned that you, you went off and did your own thing from Idaho fish and game. What, what do you do for a living? So in, in the fall of 2017, so let me back up. I started a YouTube channel in probably uh, 2008-ish. Mm-hmm. Started making videos showing people how to make self bows or wooden bows, and just kind of kept doing that stuff and 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 did it because I um, I liked what I I liked the, the subject matter that I was uh, teaching. I was I like teaching people and I like making videos never in a million years would have thought that it would have ever led to anything. I was just doing it because I like to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and started making a little bit of money, like doing some free freelance uh, videography and video production. I did a, a series of educational videos for uh, a group called Backcountry Hunters and Anglers mm-hmm. um, and, and different things like that. Started selling some things on the website. And it, eventually by 2017 or so, um, I was actually making a fair bit of income and it got to the point where I was like, I can't build, I can't progress any farther here and work a full-time job at the same time. And so, it was, you know, I had to make a decision. Um, and just my personality, like I, I, I enjoyed working for a fishing game, got to do some super cool stuff, but just my personality, I never would have been fulfilled working mm-hmm. for someone else. I ne- I felt like I needed to build something for myself. And so I made the decision to, to leave fish and game, go do the, the YouTube thing full time. And, uh, I, I was also teaching bow building classes, uh, writing magazine articles, you know, publishing, I got a couple of books that I've done and, um, it's was super risky at the, but at the same time, I mean, a potential for huge rewards, um, and it's worked out fantastic. I mean, my freedom for me is top. Like that's I value that, and my family above all other things. And so, if I have to take a huge pay cut to, and be free, I'm fine. I'm take it. I don't. I don't want the money. I want to be free. I want to be free to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't want to have to be on a schedule or any of that stuff. And that's what we did. And, and, and I was doing that. We were actually doing pretty doggone well before alone ever even mm-hmm. came on, you know, on the radar. And, um, 
but the YouTube stuff actually ended up leading to a loan. And so, cause that's how right. the person that recommended me knew about me, um, ended up being the last one out there, walked away with half a million dollars and was able to pay off the house nice. and start the kids some, uh, college funds. But Liz yeah. blew up her car while I was out in the woods. So we had to buy her a new car. Um, and so we have, we're, we we're completely debt free, um, yeah. living on our own schedule. And so it's right been, it's on, freaking man. awesome. That is yeah. awesome. I love that story. And we've just, we've just gone through so many of those kind of stories on this podcast of finding people that get in that situation of, you know, I want to be a guide, but I have this full-time job and I'm guiding on the weekends, but then I just want to do this. And there's just this moment where you got to jump. And yep. I love to hear that moment for for different people because it's always different you know like some people have a couple of kids and then some people aren't married yet and it, you know sometimes it makes the decision easier sometimes it makes it harder but you know to jump and we've had a number of people that have done it with youtube just like you have of like you know you're making a little bit over here but if you continue doing what you're doing you're going to keep making a little bit over here yep. where you have no idea but if you jumped and you did it Man, that's awesome. And then it leads to this. And then you're debt free and you're smart with your money. And you're, you're, it's just, it's an awesome story, man. Couldn't happen to a better guy. I love it. It's fantastic. So, uh, how do people, um, how do people watch your videos, get your book, um, learn more about you? So, uh, if you just get on uh, YouTube and look for Clay Hayes, all my, you know, you'll find my channel. Um, Instagram's Clay Hayes Hunter. The book is available on my website, uh, twistedstave, S-T-A-V-E dot com. Uh, you get signed copies there, or you, you can get them off Amazon. Uh, I've got one, the one about alone, it's called Surviving Alone. I've got a bow building book on there, and then a, a, a little small book of my previously published, uh, like bow hunting articles and stuff like that. Just kind nice. of a short one. Do you, um, do you do personal classes still for building bows? I I'm taking a break on the classes because I wanted to focus more on writing. Um, so I got the, I got the, the book about my loan experience done that's published. And now I'm working on another one, like, a, um, like a bushcraft slash survival type book. Nice. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's more the direction that I want to go, um, writing and because once that's done, it's all passive income and I can turn my attention to something else. Yeah. Um, whereas the class is paid really good, but it's a one-off thing, you know, you do it and, and it's, and it's done. So unless you video it and then you can make, you know, put it out as like a masterclass kind of thing. And then people can, well, that I've got that too. So I've got a, a Patreon site where okay. like there's, I don't know, there's like 50 bow building videos on there that are like super detailed very um very detailed bow building videos so yeah lots of folks sign up for that too that's awesome man wow well congratulations on all all the success and really the success uh by taking a, a huge risk i love that part of it that's that's really the i mean to me that's the best part because i had to do the same kind of thing i could have my dad was in the insurance business i could have gone down the insurance path and i'm sitting there like oh, really don't yeah. want to do that and you jump into guiding and then it's a total unknown well, and then I've been able to make my career like that. So it's fantastic. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to do um, because there's so many expectations like society expects certain things of you. You know, you, 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 
you're supposed to do all of these things. You're supposed to be responsible. And what I did, like taking that risk was probably not the most responsible thing I could have done. It was absolutely not. I mean, I could have, I could have settled into another 20 years with a department, had health insurance the whole time, had, um, you know, retirement and all that stuff. But I decided, I knew that I wouldn't be happy doing that. And so I decided to take this risk. I mean, we didn't have health insurance for a little while. Um, took a took a pay cut. Like I didn't know. There's when you do that, there's no direct deposit. Mm-hmm. There's no there's right. no, there's no security there. And I think that just holds so many people back. That that fear of the unknown. You know that that lack of security. Yeah, but you can look um, at it like that, or you can look at it like the fear of regret. Like just yeah. like your wife did of saying, you know what? I know that he'll always wonder if he could have done this. Like that's yeah. that was back to 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 the story of her not calling because she knew that you would have always wondered. And if you had not had made that jump to the YouTube and and to the writing and to to this other ri- way more risky thing and settled in in the you have just been living quiet desperation of and just wondering like what would yep. have happened if I could have done that, and yep. it's never I don't know in my mind it's it's I guess some people can deal with it I, the the thought of of living with regret of not doing something is painful. Yeah, and one of the things that that helped me to make that decision to to make that jump is um, you ever read the Four Hour Work Week? Yeah, by Tim. That's mm-hmm. a great book. Yeah, it is. Great book. There's something there's something in there, an exercise that he suggests doing like, okay, define what you want to do and then think of like the worst possible outcome and then think of like what's the probability of that actually happening. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it's like a so small a percentage that that's going to happen, but we let that tiny little chance like rule our entire lives and like I, I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I knew that even if I left fishing game, even if the YouTube and all the other stuff that I was doing, even if that didn't work out, I knew that I could make a living somehow. I mean, I could go build barns. I could work for a farmer. I I could, I can do something. We're not going to starve to death. We're not going to lose the house. I knew that. And so I was like, all right, let's give it a go. Yeah. Well, you only you only get there by taking those those big risks and and it has certainly paid off for you and uh, yeah, it has. that's awesome man that's awesome hey we should uh we should try to go uh go fishing one time when you're down in Florida you ever get down to the keys yeah we uh Liz and I took uh so I uh I've got a little 17 foot G3 and we took it down we launched in uh Flamingo is it Flamingo yeah Flamingo yeah um, and went all the way to Isla Mirada fishing nice. all those little, uh, the flats and the mangrove Island. We stayed out there in one of the chickies and one, yeah. on one of the islands, um, and had a, f- a fantastic time. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hook up if we're, if we're back down there, Yeah, we may end up, we may end up going back down this year. Uh, if we have the time, we're actually, um, we've got tickets down to St. Croix, in february so we're going to be down there for a couple of weeks wow well i might be um, down there too um we really? have a we have a trip down there um take, i'm taking the family down down to the to the virgin islands um and we're going to be in st croix and it is in february 
maybe who knows i'll be like hey clay what's up <laughs> well we'll have to if, if if our time there overlaps we'll have to uh get together and maybe do some uh free diving or something yeah there's some good bone fishing i went down there last year there's there's some pretty good bone fishing uh well, I, right around yeah there. that that's see we went down there last year it was just liz and i but this year we're taking the boys too and um i i spent all my time like just free dive free dive spear fishing mm-hmm. uh but i didn't know anything about like you know actual fishing down there and i yeah. couldn't tell nobody it's like the wild west down there weird (laughs) down there because uh, everybody i talked to said that they don't eat the fish there that they that they have like ciguatera or something and they don't they don't eat the fish and they just said we don't eat the fish here so i didn't want to argue with the with the captain if he says it's gonna make me sick okay but i can't imagine that it's that different than the fish that we have in the keys um you know, we, I mean, they're, we they're, were eating them. They're migratory fish. They're moving all yeah. over the place. But um, we didn't, you know, fishing is just not that big a deal down there. Now, they, they there are bonefish guides, and, yeah. and they're pretty good. And there's a lot of bonefish. I mean, there really are a lot of bonefish down there, and there's some pretty big ones. So did that a little bit, but a lot of, a lot of snorkeling. I don't know. It's just kind of a cool area. I like yeah. it. And uh, just just like you, I went down there with my wife, and then we thought, maybe maybe we'll bring the kids back down here. So that's what we're doing this year. My kids are a little older than yours. Um, one's about to get married. Uh, the next one is 22, so a 24, a 22, and an 18. Uh, those are our ages. So we're trying to get in the, the one last trip together that we can have, you know, before they start spreading their wings and flying away. Uh, which yep. seems to be closer and closer, but uh, yeah, man, I'd love to stay in touch with you and and uh, get together and do some fishing or show me how to shoot a traditional bow. Yeah, happy to do that. All right, man. Hey, good, good. This was really great. Thank you for your time and and really congratulations on uh, on really making a making a really cool life and having a great story. It's awesome. Well, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm glad glad I got to talk to you. All right, man. Thanks, Clay. We'll be in touch, and uh, that's it for this week. We'll be back with another episode with somebody like Clay next week. All right, see ya. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know, right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.